Sup Freaks, it's Marty Bent here to introduce this episode of Tales from the Crypt, number two of the day. I dropped episode number 200 with Ansel Linder earlier this morning. Really great up catching up with Ansel. I recorded with Whitney Webb earlier this afternoon. We uh, ripped almost two hours there. And as tends to happen with the podcast I recorded with Whitney, and this being the second Uh, It seems to be becoming a trend. I am going to post this right away, considering the depth of the content, the conversation, and the information within it. I think uh, the work that Whitney is doing right now to provide good journalism to the world, particularly around the happenings in the intelligence uh, community and within our government here in the United States particularly, I think it's very... A very interesting perspective, and I'm glad that Whitney felt comfortable coming back on Tales from the Crypt to talk about all the things she's found out. So sit back, get your popcorn ready, put your seatbelt on, put your helmets on. It's a great app. This app is brought to you by our good friends at the motherfucking Cash App. Cash App. You freaks know all about them, but if you don't know about them, let me tell you a little bit more about them. They're helping you stack sats, send sats, sell sats, and receive sats. Uh, we're saying sats, 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 because you can make sats the standard within the app. Uh, no more buying fractions in Bitcoin. We're buying whole sats. It's very powerful. On top of that, you can DCA into sats. Dollar cost average, you can set it and forget it, whether you buy daily, weekly, or bi-weekly. Uh, you can set it and forget it and have the peace of mind knowing that you're constantly stacking sats. On top of that, you can stack slivers of stonks if you want to via Cash App Investing. Uh, if your favorite stonks a little too expensive, Cash App Investing lets you buy as little as $1. Because all this is connected to your bank account, there's no four to five day waiting period. You can start stacking sats and slivers of stonks today. On top of that, big news this week, Square put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. Not in the ad read, but just really pretty, pretty baller second publicly traded pub publicly traded public publicly traded company here in the United States to uh, announce their their addition of bitcoin to their balance sheet I believe it was 50 million dollars worth I believe off the top of my head can't remember well anyway square put bitcoin on their balance sheet and you should download the cash app if you haven't already when you do make sure you use the code stacking sats that's s t a c k i a g s a t s you're going to get $10, and $10 is going to go to our good friends at Owls Lacrosse. That's Owls Lacrosse. I'll keep this one quiet for you guys, too, because I know how sensitive your little ears are. Enjoy this episode. Take care. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Welcome back, Whitney Webb. What the hell's going on? Too much is going on. I didn't even <laughs> I didn't even want to cold open my typical open there. The uh the pre-recording conversations got my mind going in a million different places already. 
<laughs> so how, before we get into everything, how have you been? I think we spoke like in the beginning of the summer, maybe it's been a few months at least. Uh, yeah. And uh, well, you know, uh, things are okay. I mean, thankfully the weather where I live is getting better. I live in South America, right? So instead of going into fall, going into spring here, winter's over. So you know, uh, that's obviously nice because my toddler doesn't have to be stuck inside in the <laughs> like all day, which makes my life easier, right? But um, you know, uh, uh, this crazy shit going on globally also is going on where I live. So that's, uh, you know, been, you know, uh, basically kind of in the same boat as most other places, the US, the UK, though, you know, Chile has had uh, measures in place that would make a lot of people in the states balk uh, that have been in place since March, like curfews every night and bullshit like that. So um, in some towns, it's gotten really bad. The town uh, right next to me, is, you can't leave your house without police permission. They ask you for your papers just to even enter the grocery store. I mean, it's out of control. Here, it's like that on weekends only for now. But I mean, who really knows? When you give a government that type of authority to do whatever they want and the population just rolls over for it and is like, okay, then, you know, they'll just keep going until they get, you know, they consolidate what they're trying to go for. So, you know. Uh, it's not unlike other some other places, unfortunately, um, like I was saying, most people here really rolled over for this bullshit. And, um, you know, I, I hope that doesn't happen in other countries. But I've heard some from some people from some friends in the UK and places like that, that pretty much over there, a lot of people are rolling over for it. So hopefully the US, uh, at least the armed part of the US will, you know, not roll over so easily, but who knows between QAnon and some of these other bullshit psyops going on right now to sort of make people think that, you know, um, as long as we get the right guy in the White House, everything's going to be fine after November. I mean, you know, people like that are in for a surprise. Yeah, it's, I think the article you dropped this week, particularly about Operation Warp Speed, which we're going to get into, really highlights the fact that the red team versus blue team political show we're getting right now is just a circus while other stuff yeah. happens behind the scenes. But uh, to bring it back to what you touched on before, you said Chile rolled over, UK seems to be rolling over, and you mentioned the Second Amendment. Uh, what's interesting about Chile, because we were talking about this too before we hit record, was last year there seemed to be uh, a, a movement uh, of people who are fed up with the uh, basically quasi-dictator they're living under uh, in Chile and hit the streets. I believe we said the narrative uh, picked up on, on rising bus fares that, that led people to finally hit the streets. But uh, you were describing the history of Chile and, and who's in charge there. And I just thought it was very interesting if we could jump into Oh, sure. I can, I can go into that a little bit. So basically in 1973, well, on September 11th, 1973, um, there was a military coup in Chile that was backed by the CIA, planned out by the CIA and Henry Kissinger. And it had originally, uh, the ball on that had gotten rolling because this banking oligarch in Chile named Augustine Edwards, who's dead now, uh, traveled to the White House to basically ask for a coup. He was really good friends with David Rockefeller. Um, and would personally pick up David Rockefeller at the airport in Santiago in Chile, show him around. So um, basically Pinochet came to power, uh, murdered a lot of people, not just people that were quote unquote communists or involved in the Salvador Allende government, um, but people who were accused of being communist sympathizers or suspected communists. 
and things like that. So imagine if, uh, you know, the McCarthy style hearings in the US, but imagine that with um, people actually being murdered or uh, tortured. Um, of course, the CIA instructed, um, you know, uh, Pinochet's goons, I guess you could say, um, and, and exactly how to torture people and all of that. And that was true for a lot of the other military dictatorships of the era. Pretty much all of South America during that period of time were CIA-backed military dictatorships where the CIA or US military intelligence or people like that would go and train, uh, you know, the security state officials um, in, in these different Latin American countries and techniques of torture uh, and psychological operations, among other things. So basically what you have in Chile now um, is a population uh, where the older generations that lived under Pinochet are extremely passive and they don't fight back about anything and because, you know, they sort of saw what happened and they're like, please just leave me and my family alone. We don't want to die. We don't want any trouble. Do whatever you want. Just don't kill us type of, you know, when things get really heavy, it kind of ends up being like that. You know, they're very content to just let things happen around them and not push back. Um, what's interesting, though, is that the supposed return of democracy to Chile, I would argue, was a uh, just really for show because a lot of the extremist policies that are unpopular now, a lot of those were either consolidated or expanded after Chile's supposed return to democracy in the 90s. And a lot of the presidents, both quote unquote left and quote unquote right, that Chile has had since 1990, um, have advanced the same agenda that started with Pinochet. And of course, a lot of that came directly from um, the so-called Chicago boys who were Chilean economists under Pinochet that were trained, uh, studied under Milton Friedman at the University of Chicago and used Chile as their personal uh, laboratory for various things. And of course, the pension system that is so insane and so insanely unpopular in Chile was imposed during this time by the brother of the current president of Chile. Um, <laughs> uh, and it, it's a total, it, it, it's, it, there's, I mean, it's so complex what's going on here and it's really hard to really explain uh, <laughs> in, in just a short amount of time without really devoting the whole podcast to it because we're talking about decades and decades of, of history and, 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 and controversy and all of that. But, um, you know, it's um, uh, unfortunately what's happening in Chile, you know, has, since the Pinochet era, it's been historically used as sort of like a laboratory, I guess you could say, for planners at the CIA and the national security state in the U.S., not just for, and also for, you know, the, the bankers, right? Um, just like what happened with the Chicago boys and their experiment, you know, that was sort of like a Wall Street testing ground. And then, but you also had, you know, the CIA and, and other parts of the U.S. government using Chile to quote unquote test things out as well. So I would argue that, you know, the more extreme clampdowns that we're seeing in Chile right now under the guise of coronavirus response um, are seeing, you know, will people roll over for this and sort of trying to gain things out and then try to apply that to other countries. And I think, um, you know, uh, some other countries that are um, like Australia, for example, I think like Victoria, uh, where Melbourne is, that that area is being used to sort of test out how, how to get people to roll over for fascism, um, essentially. Things look terrible in Victoria. It's, uh... yeah. We, uh, last episode of the podcast, we actually gave a shout out to her, or a couple episodes, shout out to our freaks in Victoria and Melbourne. We're struggling under that, uh, that very authoritarian, uh, whatever 
the prime minister, uh, not prime minister, whoever is the premier of the state, but uh, things are pretty heavy over there. And to bring it back to the Second Amendment, do you think that is the last bastion of, of defending ourselves against these things? Because every country that we've been speaking about this rolled over, I believe they don't have very... Uh, very they're disarmed yeah uh, that's true and i think that's sort of a what makes the u.s an outlier to an extent and i also think that's why we're seeing this coordinated push right now to sort of uh vilify uh u.s gun owners in the u.s right now especially around this uh supposed plot to kidnap governor uh whitmer yes yes yeah yeah yeah. so if you actually read the indictment that was another fbi entrapment plot after 9 11 the fbi went around creating tons of fake terror plots please go look this up with informants that they paid tons of money to to basically goad on vulnerable groups of people or vulnerable individuals in the muslim american community to agree to participate in fake terror plots and the fbi would give them a fake bomb and would give them all the stuff and would drive them around Right. And then the FBI would come in and say, oh, we foiled the plot. And they'd use that to justify increased like an insanely they're ever ballooning budget for their counterterrorism ops, basically. And I think so what we're seeing now is a pivot to them doing the same thing to uh, white Americans to vilify white American gun owners. Uh, just because it's more politically expedient because if you read the indictment they paid a couple undercover guys like over 20 grand to set this plot up that they then foil uh they knew about the plot and were ready to foil it back in june why did they wait until just a month before the election pretty interesting trump's fbi right (laughs) very very interesting it's again it's all theater it seems like it's crazy oh i think that and the fbi's and it's funny, like the militarization of the police and this stuff seeping down into police forces just locally. Uh, I believe I remember, mm-hmm. I forget if it was the FBI or the local police department that did a similar uh, psyop on an individual, uh, like a teenager, I believe, with extreme autism and got him to like sell drugs to a high schooler and got him locked up for that. Like it's. Yeah, well, they, they tried to do a fake terror plot, too, to a kid that was autistic also and didn't have any friends. And then they reached out to him on a chat room first and then started meeting him in real life. And his parents figured out was what was going on and were like, stay away from our son. And he kept like sneaking around where the kid would end up being to try and get him to participate in this thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's really crazy. So this is how the FBI is operating right now. They wanted to investigate Epstein for decades. They covered up the 2001 anthrax attacks and a bunch of other shit that's gone down. Right. But they, and they, they make fake terror plots. Uh, with whoever they want to be the boogeyman of the hour, right? So first it was Muslim Americans after 9-11 to justify the war on terror. Oh, look, the domestic terror is here and we're thwarting it. So give us millions and millions of more dollar a year to, you know, expand our counterterrorism operations, even though they're setting it up basically, right? And then so now they've decided to switch to this other, you know, to another boogeyman to basically justify a domestic uh, crackdown. Um, by and large, because, you know, the war on terror was about justifying bombing, you know, majority Muslim countries abroad by and large, right? So the coming pivot they want to have is a war on domestic terror um, in the United States. So how do you do that? Well, you know, uh, you have to make the new boogeyman domestic terror groups. Well, maybe this pairs up well with uh, Operation Warp Speed, too, and how 
how could you incite that if you've read the article that Whitney dropped earlier this week and it uh, you talk about basically funding for vaccines that's getting siphoned through defense contractors, which isn't typical. We'll get into why it's not typical and how it differs. Uh, but it seems like they're setting it up uh, to create, I believe it said 300 million vaccines for their U.S. Yeah. citizens. And you were saying uh, you found out information that they're going to be tracking individuals who take the vaccine oh, for yeah. two years. The, the, so. This is some crazy, yeah. Operation War Speed is, is nuts. It is not a civilian operation to make a vaccine fast for everyone during peacetime. This is a military operation and mainstream media is even admitting it. The organizational chart for Operation Warp Speed dropped the day of the debate at the end of September, so no one paid attention, and basically it's all being run by the DOD. It was supposed to be, it was initially advertised as a joint effort by HHS and the, and the Department of Defense, but it turns out the HHS people aren't really involved and that it's pretty much OD, all DOD people and that the only real civilian with any say in anything is, is this Monsef Salawi guy, he used to be the vice president of GlaxoSmithKline, who was chosen by the Trump administration to be the quote unquote civilian head of Operation Warp Speed. Monsef Salawi has uh, many conflicts of interest with some of the companies involved in Operation Warp Speed, including Moderna. He also has ties to um, Google through different firms he backs. Um, Monsef Salawi also is kind of uh, a crazy guy because what his vision for the future has long been, and this is true when he was at GlaxoSmithKline and well after, um, is because he wants to usher in an age of what he calls bioelectronic medicine, where basically nanotechnology will be inserted into your body and then go modifying cell by cell or nerve by nerve to quote unquote fight disease and things like this. So, you know, this is important when we consider the extreme secrecy surrounding Operation Warp Speed. Uh, essentially, all of it is classified. There's very little that we know. And, um, you know, uh, what I wrote about in this article you've, you've mentioned is how um, people were uh, different news organizations, mainstream news organizations like NPR, right, were trying to get Freedom of Information Act requests to gain access to the contracts, uh, the vaccine uh, contracts that are between Operation Warp Speed and these vaccine companies and they were denied and they were like, why is it denied? And it turns out that the government did not directly enter into those contracts with the vaccine companies. They used a third party intermediary. That third party intermediary, as I point out in the article, was involved um, with some very creepy foreknowledge of 9-11 and the 2001 anthrax attacks, um, co-sponsors of the dark winter simulation in June 2001 that I've talked about a lot over the course of this year. Um, was origin was headed for most of this period of time by the former deputy director of the CIA and and stuff like that. So of all the people to funnel your vaccine contracts through, it's very interesting they would choose them. And what's crazy is that HHS, uh, you know, the Department of Health of Human Services, they say they have no records, no copy of the vaccine, and the Department of Defense are vaccine contracts. And the Department of Defense uh, won't comment on if they have them or not. So it appears that this, you know, um, con government contractor all tied up with the CIA um, is basically the people that know what the contract says and the vaccine company. And some of these vaccine companies aren't just vaccine companies. You have companies like Johnson & Johnson, just one of the biggest companies in the world. And they have been in so many scandals for product safety, it's insane. 
okay? And one of the other side effects of routing the contracts through this third-party intermediary is that the vaccine companies are also exempt from federal oversight and safety regulations. So out of all the companies you want to give like billions of dollars to, to like play around and develop something in secret and exempt from federal safety regulations, I would argue that Johnson & Johnson is a bad call. They had asbestos in their baby powder for decades. They knew about it. They didn't do anything. Not unlike Monsanto knowing for decades that Roundup glyphosate causes cancer and they intentionally tried to cover it up. Also, the clinical trials for Operation Warp Speed, completely secret. No one knows their parameters. No one knows their sample sizes. No one knows how long the safety tests are going on. No one knows uh, their results beyond what they choose to report. Um, this, the lack of transparency is very alarming because this is supposed to be given to every single American distributed by the military, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, it's incredible. Full stop, people. It's incredibly creepy all around. And to rehash exactly what's going on. So the U.S. government has, what, $10, $10 billion in total for this vaccine program. $6 billion have been allocated. It's called an OTA outside that's, that's oh that's an other transaction agreement that mm -hmm. means that it wasn't directly between the government and the con in the company right it was between it was funneled through this third party intermediary yes so you have donald trump administration uh allocating the decisions for this vaccine to department of defense contractors who are then contracting the vaccine producers johnson and johnson's one pfizer's the other and there's two others i believe um uh, Novavax and uh, Merck, I think. Yeah. So major corporations are getting their pockets aligned. And yeah, so I, I mean, these are billions and billions of dollars. In contrast, Operation Warp Speed originally said they were going to invest equally in therapeutics. 450 million have gone to therapeutics, and it all went to that company, Regeneron, whose antibody cocktail Trump supposedly got at the hospital. Um, but before Trump, that had only been given to 10 people, no safety tests done. So I kind of doubt if Trump actually got it. It may have just been sort of a way to promote um, this new quote-unquote therapy that's all tied up with warp speed and also has some conflicts of interest with some of these uh, people like Monsef Salawi. Monsef Salawi is uh, on the board of directors of a company called Intelia which is also partnered with Regeneron, right? So he's like all involved with a lot of different firms and he has a lot of ties to Google. And also one of the other guys involved in the vaccine that's supposed to be a quote unquote civilian, but is not, is a former program manager for DARPA, right? Which is part of the Pentagon. It's like DARPA's, uh, is like basically the Pentagon's mad scientist wing. You know, it's their like a Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency is what it what it's called, but it's like they do some really crazy shit. Thanks for so, the, thanks for the internet, DARPA. Yeah, yeah. Well, they like to take credit for for that, but that was before they were DARPA. They were just ARPA then, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, the the guy that's in in charge of coordinating the vaccine. So you have Monsef Salawi in charge of the quote unquote civilian side, and then the guy under him for coordinating what's going on with the vaccine and coordinating these contracts technically with the vaccine companies is a guy named Matt Hepburn. He used to be a program manager for DARPA, and why he was at DARPA, Matt Hepburn uh, oversaw the development of something called Profusa, which is an injectable under the skin biosensor um, that can be used to track all sorts of things going on in your body. 
um, and that it sends it to a wireless device. He is still overseeing DARPA's interest in that product, which is also now backed by Google, oddly enough. In the same month that Operation Warp Speed is set to go operational or whatever in January 2021 is also the month that Profusa will be licensed uh, for use by the FDA. So um, that's certainly odd. Um, and when you actually bothered to go into the uh, <clears throat> official documents of Warp Speed that have come out, they essentially say, and Monsef Salawi in the week since has said this in every interview he has given, they are going to track and surveil everyone that gets the vaccine for up to two years after the first dose is received. They say, uh, on the one hand, that is because they want, need to make sure you take the second or potentially third dose because they say that the Operation Warp Speed vaccine will not be a single dose vaccine. It will at minimum be two doses. Okay, so they have to track you to make sure that you um, don't back out of subsequent doses but they also say that they have to track you to ensure the safety of the product for things that didn't appear, so, what they say, quote unquote, rare side effects that didn't appear in clinical trials. Remember the clinical trials are freaking secret and they could have easily designed it, you know, okay, we're gonna test you for one month or two months knowing that, you know, down the line, maybe some other weird stuff will pop up. So everyone that gets it is basically gonna be a guinea pig and how are they gonna monitor that? Well, the Profusa thing is just sitting there waiting for it and you have this, this thread of Google throughout all of this. Well, guess what company Operation Warp Speed decided to sign up with to track people as part of this quote unquote pharmacovigilance system uh, where everyone that gets the vaccine is gonna be tracked for two years. Guess what company? Google. <laughs> <laughs> Google. Is tracking everything you do and it's it's yeah. insane that they're basing this operation warp seed around a vaccine for coronavirus like like well like, is the virus even that coronavirus bad? For is the virus second. even that bad that everybody needs to get vaccinated i'd certainly well, don't no because so. more than 90 percent of people who get it survive it <laughs> so like um from a policy perspective it doesn't really make a lot of sense but also historically um, after the SARS epidemic or whatever in, in 2003, and also the emergence of MERS, which is another coronavirus that I think came on the scene in 2012, there have been efforts to develop different vaccines for different coronaviruses. All have been unsuccessful for a variety of reasons. It just appears to be a category of virus that does not lend itself well to uh, vaccine, existing vaccine technology. And this is part of the argument of Operation Warp Speed officially, because all of the vaccines that they are funding, oh, sorry, all of the vaccines that they are, um, that they are funding all use experimental vaccine technology that has never been approved before. So all of the vaccines that are licensed for use now use uh, product, uh, you know, you know uh, existing vaccine uh, production technologies platforms, product uh, platforms that have been approved and been around for a while, right? Operation Warp Speed is using none of those. They're all new and experimental. And they've, um, they've got all in secret. They're already right? off the hook for liability too. Yes. And that was a 
done by a guy named Robert Cadlick, who is the current HHS Assistant Secretary of Preparedness and Response. That was his idea. He did that back in April. He is also involved on signing off on all of these secret vaccine contracts. Robert Cadlick, um, if you haven't read my Engineering Contagion se uh, series, part three of that series is all about Robert Cadlick. The Dark Winter exercise, the name Dark Winter, comes from something Robert Cadlick said at the Dark Winter simulation. He was totally involved in that and he was totally involved in a bunch of shady shit that happened right before the anthrax attacks he was involved in the cover-up of the 2001 anthrax attacks he has been a, just a constant presence in this uh in, in what is going on now how the foundation for all of this shady stuff going on now has been set up in the years since 9-11 robert cadlock is there every time and so he's in charge essentially of hhs's coronavirus response by and large, and he gave all of these vaccine companies complete liability. HHS also changed law earlier this year so that they can uh, require vaccination for, for children as young as three years old, which before was not a thing. You had to be older uh, to get roped into that, but now it's uh, children between the ages of three and 18 can be, you know, uh, vaccinated with this experimental vaccine and then the companies will get no liability. So they lowered the age threshold for that uh, considerably, which is really nuts. This is, I mean, it's all completely insane. Uh, and when you dig into the interconnected nature of the people involved and how far back it goes to like pre-Department of Homeland Security, uh, there were people in these intelligence agencies in NDC trying to create uh, basically the DHS before it existed, correct? And they're at a lot, right. a lot of these private contractors. Uh, right. Well, they created, um, they set the foundation for what would be the, the development, the, the, the writing of the legislation and all of this stuff for what would later become DHS. And they had an Institute for Homeland Security that they set up in 1999, but they didn't officially launch it until the month after the legislation to produce something called NHSA, which later became DHS, supposed to be the National Homeland Security Agency was the original name of what DHS became. Anyway, the month after that was introduced, this, you know, CIA, ex-CIA deputy director uh, lady, you know, decided that was the time to officially launch this new Institute for Homeland Security, and then they make all these press appearances, all their all their experts and whatever saying, oh, the next Pearl Harbor is on the way. It's gonna be firefighters on the front lines, uh, not soldiers and all this stuff, uh, you know, between May 2001 and, and right before, you know, September 11th, 2001. And then they co-host this, you know, dark winter simulation, which was about a bioterror attack that basically predicted the, uh, the narrative they tried to sell people on the 2001 anthrax attacks and also major participants. Uh, a lot of participants at the dark winter simulation had apparent foreknowledge that the anthrax attacks would happen because they went around between 9-11 and the anthrax attacks and talked about how there was going to be an anthrax attack. They started taking ciprofloaxin, which is an antibiotic that prevents anthrax infection before the anthrax attacks happened. And um, some of them personally briefed Dick Cheney all about dark winter, all about um, 
the anthrax attacks. And if you look at the people who were the participants of Dark Winter, you have like the son of one of the co-founders of the US intelligence community, basically. You have former FBI directors, former CIA directors. Uh, you have people like Jerome Hauer, who is a prime suspect in a lot of the shady shit that went down on September 11th, 2001 at the World Trade Center. Specifically, he was head of security for the World Trade Center uh, for Kroll Inc at the time so um yeah and so he was at dark winter too um you know i mean it was just um all around really shady and like i said earlier robert cadlick who is now in charge of hhs's coronavirus response also involved in operation warp speed to a large degree was the guy that coined uh <laughs> you know the line he said he gives in the exercise is where the name dark winter for the exercise comes from so it's it, it's important to revisit some of this history because it's directly affecting what we're seeing now. And before I forget, another thing about Operation Warp Speed that just came out last month, all of these really creepy revelations I'm talking about about Operation Warp Speed all just came out from the beginning of September to now, right? I mean, it's, it's only really starting to come out now, I guess, as more people are focused on the election and not paying attention to other stuff. Hey, Trump took um, his mask off on the balcony. He can't talk about anything else. I know. How dare he? <laughs> Everybody pay attention yeah. to this for the next 48 hours. Yeah, it's pretty out of control. But before I forget, the other thing is that it's not just the DOD and HHS involved in Operation Warp Speed. And you can look this up. This comes straight from government officials. The NSA is involved. DHS is involved. And the FBI is involved. Why does a vaccine need these guys? Why does the NSA need to be there? Why does DHS need to be there? Why does the FBI need to be there? Well, going back to, uh, I forget whether it was the DHS, whatever agency uh, is talking about like uh, domestic terrorists. Uh, I believe they're they're calling uh, the Boogaloo guys like vanilla ISIS or something like that. Um, oh yeah, you're talking about DHS. Well, well, <clears throat> so here's so here's the point I'm trying to make. Like they're prepping for that new narrative and what is a way to create uh homeland terrorists is to try to force vaccinations on people and pain anybody who tries to uh well they know that there's people that are gonna get mad and yeah. they advance even farther and so they're trying to set up a narrative where everyone can be like you're a terrorist exactly you know? yes yes so that's where this is going but speaking of narratives um I guess we can get into some of the stuff we covered last time I was on about what's likely to go down on election day and the weeks afterwards. Um, like I was talking about not that long ago, about 2001, you have to remember how they set up that year, right? Um, you have uh, September 11th, a big event, but a one day event. And then you have it a few weeks later, followed by the anthrax attacks, a bioterror attack. And a lot of people have forgotten about the anthrax attacks, but after 9-11, the anthrax attacks ratcheted up the fear, arguably even higher than it had been on 9-11. And it made people think that this was going to be the terrorism. Terror attacks on the U.S. homeland were going to be the quote-unquote new normal for life in the United States. That, that it was just something that we had to accept that was going to happen now because they all hate us for our freedom right that was but this is important to keep in mind they had one big event and then they had one that followed right uh, they had one terror attack quote unquote right then they have a bioterror attack that follows it a few weeks later okay 
So um, last time I was on, I talked about cyber reason, I believe, and all of that stuff, what's likely to go to an election day. I still stand by that. There is a lot, we can get into this later, a lot of indication that they are essentially setting up in essential, essentially making utility, the, the power grid, utility companies, and also uh, the communications of public safety organizations more vulnerable in the lead up to the election. Um, and this is coming straight from the government, the same government that is warning that those very systems are going to be targeted by quote unquote foreign hackers on election day. Um, all very insane. But beyond that, um, over the course of this year, and even before, we have had people like Bill Gates and a lot of the people that quote unquote predicted the coronavirus crisis that has been unfolding most of this year. Uh, they also have said that after the pandemic, the, the coronavirus pandemic, there will be a bioterror attack. And okay. uh, yes, so um, I would argue that November 3rd, the election, 11-3, uh, they will try and uh, create a sort of new 9-11, but it will be like a cyber terror attack is, is sort of how they'll frame it. But then they're planning to follow <clears throat> with uh, what Bill Gates calls pandemic two. If you go back and watch his interview earlier this year with Stephen Colbert, the Stephen Colbert Bill Gates interview, where Bill Gates talks about the final solution and all of this other shit, um, people may remember this interview because it, it's really weird and Bill Gates chuckles at the wrong time and looks totally insane um, in a way that he doesn't in a lot of the other interviews from that time. But um, he says, I call this pandemic, pandemic one. This is back in April, right? So he's talking about the coronavirus crisis and he says, it's likely that pandemic two will be a bioterror event. Okay. What the fuck? He's been saying this since 2017 and Bill Gates gave a talk in 2018 where he was talking about the need to merge uh, health security with international security, create a war, you know, merge the war on terror with, you know, the war on disease, the war on pandemics, creating essentially a future war of bioterror. If that comes to pass, that will make the new battleground your body. So that's why we're seeing a lot of this invasive technology being promoted, like wearables, biometrics, all of this stuff. Um, they, it's, it's pretty nuts. But what I want to point out is in, in addition to, because it's not just Bill Gates, you have like, <clears throat> I went over this on The Last American Vagabond, did a whole video show with Ryan Christian about all the different news articles that have come out this year saying there's going to be a bioterror attack after the pandemic. Those articles say that it's going to be a white supremacist group in the U.S. working with Islamic extremists, right? <laughs> so I think it's no, not, it sounds, it, it is nuts and it sounds nuts. But think about now what they've been saying in this, in, 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 uh, with this domestic terrorist stuff and right after the Whitmer plot, you know, came out and was getting all this mainstream media play, they start calling them vanilla ISIS. They start linking this quote unquote white supremacist group. There's no evidence they were white supremacists, by the way. Um, just want to <laughs> throw it out there. But they, they label them as white supremacists and then they're linking them already to ISIS in people's minds by giving them nicknames like vanilla ISIS or saying they're following the ISIS playbook and all of this stuff. This is something people need to watch. They are going to try and, and say, that white supremacists have a global network, they're all working together and they're working with the war on terror, Al Qaeda, ISIS groups uh, behind the scenes and that they're going to be behind bioterror attacks. They're also 
uh, based on the same narrative seeding, saying that they're going to be buying stuff off of the dark web, which I would argue uh, the government will use to crack down on the internet in a big way once this stuff starts going live. Well, a few things here. They're already posturing like you're going to shut down the internet. The OJ announced they're, they went back to where to encryption products uh yeah they've been pushing for that for years though i know i know but like they're, yeah. they're finally mm -hmm. getting to a point where uh, they think they can sell it yeah the push is coming to a shove i mean they can't sell mm -hmm. it backdoor and encryption renders the encryption obsolete and so it's not really encryption but the repetitive nature of all this uh people mm -hmm. repeating stuff another another phrase uh that's going around build back better uh, politicians around the world uh using this yeah. this three letter three word phrase excuse me build back better some nice alliteration there uh but we have the world economic forum posturing with the great reset it seems like the pandemic is now well the great reset was was a book written by the klaus schwab guy yes. of the world economic forum long before the pandemic even happened i just want to say that i agree but so. it's a perfect Oh yeah. Well, now they're out Impetus in the open event. about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Like, right mm -hmm. We have this pandemic. Now we need the Great Reset. Uh, actually, coronavirus ties into climate change as well. So we're going to make these uh, these energy changes to our to our grids and our economies, just as we're making these uh, medical changes as well and these tracking changes. It seems, yeah, 2020 has been a very weird world for authoritarian overreach and. Uh, yeah. Well, tech, I would, I would call it tech enabled authoritarian overreaches because it all has to do, a lot of it has to do with big tech um, behind the scenes. Going back to Google and Operation Warp Speed, but also World Economic Forum stuff, um, because uh, one guy that doesn't get enough attention, Bill Gates got a lot of attention earlier this year. One guy that didn't, that should have gotten attention is Eric Schmidt, the former CEO of Google, who was also a big uh, Bilderberg guy um just want to throw that out there you know um which by the way you know those meetings attended by pompeo attended by kushner right the meetings with the billionaires and the you know trump administration guys and people from all over the world behind closed doors you know henry kissinger <laughs> people like that what do you think they talk about how to help you how to help the little guy um you know i mean it's, i i some people think you know that they go in there and they do a bunch of crazy stuff i don't really know about that but i definitely think they talk about how to preserve their interests um and how to advance agendas that they have and how to maintain or expand you know their control over things i think that's you know what if billionaires you know are like that if they all get together and to meet in secret what do you think they're meeting about <laughs> you know how to throw you in the pod and make you eat the bugs. It seems like they've been very <laughs> successful at it. Uh, I know. Right. But I want to talk about Eric Schmidt for a second because this guy is essentially directing Pentagon policy in a huge way and it has not gotten attention. He hit, you know, he's a Silicon Valley billionaire. He has a lot of uh, agendas. He's a lot of ties to, you know, the Clintons and the Democrat side, right? But it, it goes much deeper than that. Um, he also has ties to Israeli intelligence, the Unit 8200 crowd. Uh, for example, Team 8, which is an incubator of Unit 8200, which is Israel's NSA, Israeli intelligence. Um, an incubator of Unit 8200 tech companies, which are basically, you know, Unit 8200 front companies all over the tech scene. Um, that's run, it's run by a former Unit 8200 commander, but it was set up with money from Eric Schmidt. 
right? So um, they just hired, uh, not that long ago, a former director of the NSA, Mike Rogers, because they wanted access. This is straight from NSA employees. They were criticizing Rogers taking a job there because they were saying, these people, they basically straight up said, Team 8 is a front for Israeli intelligence and they want Mike Rogers there because he knows all the vulnerabilities in the US grid, basically. Um, which is just totally mental. But that's Eric Schmidt there, right? I mean, so we need to keep that in mind. But Eric Schmidt is in charge of the National Security Commission on AI, which is, a, he, he, he heads that, but it's essentially the Pentagon, the CIA through NQTEL, um, the former number two guy in the entire US intelligence community, he was also tied up with the dark winter people. Um, and so you basically have, you know, intelligence, the Pentagon and Silicon Valley, because on the National Security Commission of AI, representing Silicon Valley, you don't just have Eric Schmidt at the top, you have people from Amazon, from Microsoft, from um, a vice president of Google, um, you know, all the big tech firms are there. Yeah. And Oracle, you have there as well, which is also involved in Operation Warp Speed. So you have all of these guys, and last year, they planned out, they essentially said that the U.S. has to uh, totally remake its economy and society in order to beat China in AI and develop better AI algorithms than China and advance more in the smart city stuff and biometrics and all this stuff. Because basically smart cities are full of sensors everywhere. That's how they work. So they accumulate just an insane amount of data. And if you want to create a better AI algorithm than your competitor, you need more data on which to train your AI algorithm. So from the perspective of these guys, China has a bigger population. They have mega cities. They are currently accruing more data than the U.S. is. So, you know, the U.S. has to implement more sensors and go even farther than China has in terms of getting data, the amount of data they um, extract out of a person. This is how these people think they view you as data to be harvested right now. These guys that are all into this huge push for AI. So basically, you know, how do we get, you know, Americans per person to produce more data uh, for us uh, than, you know, China is doing with their citizens? Well, basically that is, you know, implementing the smart city uh, system, getting people to wear, uh, you know, th this wearable stuff like Fitbits and Amazon has a really new creepy one they say is for, for fitness. It's called Halo, but it also tracks the tone of your voice and your emotions and lets you know when you sound sad and, and things like this. I mean, it, they are really taking this to like a whole, whole new level. Like a whole hers of, level. Her, yeah. Uh, it's so creepy. And it's... It's funny. Maybe this is uh, Google's finally building the website that that Trump was talking about in the beginning of the crisis when. Oh my God. <laughs> Google's going to build us the best website. Maybe he slipped up there. It was getting. Uh, like... Yeah, they're doing more than building a website. They're doing because I mean, you know, what I was talking about earlier about Operation Warp Speed. You see Google underlying that, and then you see you know, the Google guy Eric Schmidt at the top of all this this shit with the, with the Pentagon right now and the National Security Commission on AI. This isn't just about. <clears throat> what the Pentagon will do with AI. This is about how AI must be implemented and used in the United States to uh, secure key national security objectives, which are maintain global military hegemony and global economic hegemony. That's what it's about. So if you think they're going to put this shit to a vote and ask you, hey, can we like 
put all these sensors all over your house and all over your city and on your body and in your body so we can get all this data to beat China because we have to beat China, you know, and you're like, oh, I don't want this. They don't fucking care. They're like, this is what we have to do or we won't be number one anymore. And all these guys care about is, you know, being the hegemon in the world forever. Um, so do you think they have this sort of God complex leading them towards that? We need the U.S. to be number one in the world. And they completely overlook the uh, freedom and liberty destroying uh, acts that get them right. There. Well, they say, right, that we're better than China so that, you know, we have to stay number one so we can make the world safe for democracy. But I honestly think that's bullshit. A lot of these guys and even the National Security Commission on AI have in, in one of their, uh, some of the things they released last year, they talk about the need that there's two ways to go about this. There's the leapfrog China way, which is we go farther than China does um, in order to outdo them and maintain hegemony. But the other way is to work with uh, that the economic and political elite of the US joins forces with the political and economic elite of China to basically create this Orwellian AI driven panopticon together. So uh, guess who's in favor of that approach? Henry Kissinger, um, who is actually describes Eric Schmidt as his best friend. <laughs> um, yeah, so a lot of people uh, that have noticed this, which actually isn't a lot of people, it's relatively few, but you know, it's, it's, uh, there's some people that have called Eric Schmidt the next Kissinger because of this. He's sort of taken over. I mean, because Kissinger's freaking old, right? He's, but here we have Eric Schmidt at the center of all this. Alive. Right, right. I hope he uh, goes soon because I just, I hate seeing him. It enrages me that so many other people are gone and he's still there this giant blob of, of, I know that's, I, I don't want to go. <laughs> uh, I don't want to get too descriptive of what I think about Kissinger. <laughs> hey, Basically if you want satanic jello. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, you know, so Kissinger, right, was at the center of a lot of different, he had his hands in all the pies, right, for a long time. And Eric Schmidt, in a lot of ways, is like that now, sort of in, in a lot of the ways I've been explaining. But Eric Schmidt is also a transhumanist. He thinks, just like a lot of the other big guys at Google, including, you know, their in-house futurists like Ray Kurzweil and these guys that people like Eric Schmidt brought on when he was head of Google, mm -hmm. they think that humans merging with machines is, is in inevitable human progress, that human evolution goes in that direction. And that's where we have to take things. And they want to be, they want to be in charge of that system and usher in that world. That's how Eric Schmidt views things. People should pay very close attention to Eric Schmidt's, you know, philosophy, what he, his vision for the future and all of this stuff, because he is a very powerful man right now and is essentially driving and advising the Pentagon and all their modernization efforts, which by the way, went live last month uh, with something called Project Convergence where now the Pentagon is all about quote unquote modernizing. And if you look at the Pentagon's plans for modernizing from the past four years, it's all about AI. It's about using AI to target people who lives and who dies, just like Project Maven, which uh, was sort of shut down because of the controversy. Project Maven was set up by the current vice chair of the National Security Commission on AI, who used to be Undersecretary of Defense, a guy named Bob Work. 
Um, so he and Eric Schmidt are running this, this shit together. But basically, the Pentagon this year has been testing out artificial intelligence for lethality, is what they call it. And that is going to go live next year. The military is going to have AI target, you know, who lives and who dies for US soldiers. They've ordered all these heads up display, um, you know, video game style helmets for soldiers where AI is going to highlight uh, who to shoot, basically. Um, opening up a big can of worms for does the AI work? Because remember, a lot of this facial recognition AI stuff uh, will say um, that, you know, oh, okay, you happen to be a racial minority, you're a criminal and stuff like this. They're like notorious for being, um, being really inaccurate and being really racist. Yeah, they um, uh, said that all the, uh, like most of the black people in Congress were criminals. <laughs> And but the white ones were not right, so that's how you know it's it doesn't work because they're all criminals. But <laughs> <laughs> right, um, but you know, I mean, it, it's definitely um, some some icky territory. Amazing that that has not been covered in mainstream press hardly at all this year. What the Pentagon is planning to do, because honestly, that's just the beginning. The Pentagon also wants, and this is also with DARPA, they want soldiers to be able to control weapons with their brains swarms of drones with their brains. You may think this sounds batshit nuts when you hear me say this, but I please urge you, this is in the military's own documents. You should go and read what the fuck they are planning to do because they're doing it. They're doing it now and they're not gonna put it to a vote. And I think this is very much tied up with Operation Warp Speed because it's a lot of the same actors involved and the extreme secrecy, I mean, they are planning for some really crazy stuff uh, to be implemented in the US and they are trying to figure out a way to uh, distract everyone while they're setting it up through the election and probably through the chaos they will engineer post-election and trying to manufacture consent for a domestic war on terror where they can call, you know, this guy a terrorist and that guy a terrorist, really flimsy justification. Because yeah, maybe now they're talking about oh, these quote-unquote militia guys or terrorists and all that stuff, they will flip this on the left in a hot second and just start labeling everyone they want on the left Antifa and doing the same shit to them. And then, you know, if they want to, you know, switch back to the other one, I mean, it's left and right. I mean, they're going to go after whoever the fuck they want um, with, all this, with all this stuff. And they've been planning this stuff for years. I mean, DHS was set up for a future domestic war on terror. That's what the Department of Homeland Security was created to do. The idea of this pivot towards homeland defense in the late 90s um, <clears throat> began under Clinton in 1997, the National Defense Panel Report. And the term homeland defense and this whole idea came from Richard Armitage, who, was a, who later became an advisor to the George W. Bush State Department. But before, in this guy's early history, Armitage worked for the CIA and he was involved in Vietnam's Phoenix program. And the Phoenix program was all about how do you quash dissent and make your control absolute. It was a CIA program that they were doing in South Vietnam. It essentially resulted in the murder of 40,000 civilians. And they just would kidnap people that they suspected of this or suspected of that to create a culture of fear. And that the fear of being abducted, that you could be next and all of this shit was supposed to keep people in line and foster uh, you know, obedience to authority uh, in the, in, in these, in these villages and communities. I mean, th that's where DHS, like, ideologically comes from. 
from these guys. And anyone that wants to know more about the Phoenix program, please read the book by Doug Valentine. He interviewed all of the people involved. This is, Doug is so amazing. He, <laughs> he convinced all these CIA guys that he thought they were awesome and that he was a super patriot when he was not. Uh, to get them to go on record and talk about their insane war crimes through the Phoenix program in Vietnam. And then he published the most devastating expose of that CIA operation uh, ever, really. And uh, it's, it's out of control. So, you know, you read that book, you will get straight from these ex-CIA guys, straight out of the horse's mouth, uh, what that operation was and what it was designed to do. And I think it's no coincidence if you uh, read another book called Surveillance Valley, um, by Yasha Levine, which is about the military's role in the creation of the internet, a lot of the, the foundations for the internet in Silicon Valley also that we know today also happened in Vietnam with uh, the involvement of military intelligence in the CIA. We get example of example and example and example and example of uh, these intelligence agency types doing shady shit around the world. Uh, doing these... They've never been held accountable for anything, ever. Well, you're a conspiracy theorist, Whitney. Uh... Ah, yeah. Well, they they made up that term, too. Anyone that didn't believe the Warren Commission was a conspiracy theorist, that's where the origin of that term as a pejorative well, comes from. Agreed. And... On the CIA itself. <laughs> but you're talking about um, the way these agencies basically use fear to drive obedience and this year. Mm-hmm. You were talking about rolling over earlier, but it's sad to say here in the United States, people succumb to fear uh, very strongly, uh, particularly with the virus and masks particularly. It seems like they're being successful in their endeavors. And I guess the point I'm trying to get to is, is these conversations to listen to for some people are somewhat cathartic and they listen to them in the corner of the room with their, with their ear their airpods in so nobody can hear what they're listening to and this is like a guilty pleasure for a lot of people hearing these <laughs> these facts because uh, they're commonly brushed with the conspiracy theory brush like how i mean you write about this stuff every day how, how do you we get more people to get comfortable talking about this stuff and bringing it up and like, obviously the mainstream media isn't covering this it takes individuals like right you. well you know i get smeared a lot as a conspiracy theorist but a lot of my sources cannot be smeared that way like i was saying i was talking about you know the operation warp speed contracts my recent article on this you know that was from npr right why don't you take some of my sources just a list of the mainstream media reporting about this crazy shit going on and you put it in the right order for for people close to you and be like well, and another thing you mentioned, like you can Freedom of Information Act, a lot of this information, get it from the government, like Operation Mockingbird, Operation MK Ultra, now Operation Warp Speed. They're all real things, but people look back right. and be like, ah, oh, whatever. Like they they just like gloss over it. They don't even like give a good rebuttal. Yeah, I mean, I know I experienced a lot of this when I lived in the US and became very disillusioned and then ended up leaving because I was like, all right, when when push comes to shove, I guess we're fucked. But you know, I, I don't know if I feel that way now. I mean, I haven't been in the US a while. But I think once they start pushing even farther forward, a lot of this stuff, particularly if 11-3, you know, election day ends up becoming the next 9-11. And all of this stuff. Uh, my hope is that by having talked about what you know it these intelligence agencies are warning and what they appear to be setting up a foundation for and orchestrating and all this stuff you know if i can get this out before the actual event then when it happens people will look back and be like 
whoa, how did she know that this was going to happen? You know what I mean? So that's my hope is that, you know, by, by talking about a lot of this stuff, I can sort of preempt some of the, the narratives they'll try and set, um, you know, on these, on this stuff. Because, you know, if they're going to take down the power grid and all the stuff and blame Iran, uh, why did we give our power grid over to this company called Impressed, which is owned by the state-owned weapons manufacturer of Israel? Like, why did we do that? We gave it to a foreign country that wants us to go to war with Iran, right? It doesn't make any sense. So if someone attacks the power grid and they're going to blame Iran after a hot second, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Especially when you consider that the head of NSA's cybersecurity division is Ann Neuenberger, whose parents were rescued by Benjamin Netanyahu's brother and whose husband is on the board of APAC. Well, I'm sure we could trust her to investigate Iranian cyber attacks, uh, quote unquote Iranian cyber attacks, truthfully, right? Not like there's a conflict of interest there. So, um, and like I said, Mike Rogers works for teammate now. Um, It's pretty wild. Keith Alexander, the other former NSA director, also takes money from teammate. So, you know, they've been, uh, they've been busy. (laughs) I get that we're close allies with Israel, but still there should be a, a, a wall of, uh, yeah, no but here's, here's the thing. So, that, like, is that close treasonous? ally, okay, but it's it's a very one-sided relationship. Who yes. gets most of the benefit out of that relationship? It's not the U.S. Okay. Also, APAC as an organization, uh, over its decades-long history, has been embroiled in numerous espionage scandals, many of them that were federally investigated and then shut down from the highest level. Why is that? Um, you know. These are things that you can look up. By the way, one of the people that was involved in the APOC espionage scandal is now uh, Trump's ambassador to Turkey. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, because that, that makes sense. Yeah, um, one of the ones in the early 2000s. Uh, one guy went to prison for that, but it wasn't the APAC guys that basically egged him on. It was the guy that leaked from the U.S. government. I forget his name. But, you know, APAC espionage scandal, you can find it. Also, you know, there's that pretty notorious Fox News report from 2001 by Carl Cameron about the Israeli tech companies Amdocs and Converse Infosys, which is now Verant Inc. Um, and what they were doing, you know, before and on and after 9-11 in terms of uh, surveillance and, and things like that. A bunch yeah. of weird stuff was going on, so. And as we know, as yeah. we discussed in the first episode... Uh, a lot of ties to Israeli intelligence with the Epstein saga and everything that's going on. Well, yeah. Who was he blackmailing people for? Right. So, you know, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of different directions to go, to go with it there, but basically, I mean, this is like on mainstream sites, like business insider, they're quoting Israeli government officials off the record that are based or, or like anonymously um and, and they're saying stuff like we want to try and and get the u.s into a war with iran before donald trump leaves office and stuff because they think he'd be more amenable to a u.s war with iran than biden would because biden's like oh the iran deal and whatever you know um that is not good that sounds like foreign meddling to me but instead it's oh russian disinfo is still you know what the dhs is worried about and the dhs came out with this report the Homeland Threat Assessment, the first Homeland Threat Assessment DHS has ever made, they wait, They were made in what, 2003 DHS? And they waited until 2020 to make their first Homeland Threat Assessment. That seems a little weird. Also weird, normally the CIA has a worldwide threat assessment they do every year, but this year they didn't do one. 
and DHS did one. Isn't that strange? Um, anyway, in, in, in this DHS document about what the threats to the homeland are, they lay out what qualifies as Russian disinfo. And remember, this is supposed to be like Chad Wolf who's in charge of DHS. He's like a, supposed to be a Trump guy. He says denigrating Biden and denigrating the establishment, examples of Russian disinformation. Okay, so that's like half of the fucking US. You can't criticize. Right there. You can't criticize the establishment and you can't say mean things about Joe Biden. This is the guy that works for Trump. I mean, are you kidding me? Uh, <laughs> and people are like, yeah, DHS is going to put Antifa in jail. It's like, all it's all clown, a clown show. But then you then something like the Russiagate hoax being the documents being released last week, basically proving that the Clinton administration or excuse me, not the Clinton administration. Hillary but Clinton. we knew this. You know what I mean? Like, OK, cool. There's some more documents coming out. But what is that distracting people from that's going on right now? There's a lot going on right now. And it's not just warp speed. I mean, that's one thing I've been reporting on because I'm like, this is shady as hell. How the heck are more people not covering this? So I'm trying to like cover it. But there's a lot of other stuff going on besides this. And if we're all going to be going like, oh, look what Clinton was doing in 2016. I'm sure he'll put her in prison after he wins this election. You know, I mean, no, dude, uh, they're trying to keep you looking all the way, you know, over there at this thing that happened four years ago um, from, you know, paying you're, you're not paying attention to the stuff that's going to go down now and stuff is very clearly going to go down. I mean, they pretty much uh, told you, you know, when I was writing about what was going to go down with the 2020 election back in like January, you know, some people were like, this is crazy. But now that we've gotten a lot closer, I mean, even mainstream media is like between November and January, total chaos in the US, right. you know? No. Um, and I was talking about how they were going to do that back in January. How did I know? Because US intelligence and the intelligence agencies that do that, you know, a lot of this is done between by, by both US and Israeli intelligence working together. If you listen to them, and look at what they're doing. They essentially tell you what will happen. This was true with 9-11 also. This is true with 9-11 also. A year before 9-11 happened, they simulated flying planes into the Pentagon. Before the anthrax attacks, they had dark winter. You know, I mean, they... What was they, it last year? They, Event 210 or something like that? 201, which was done by the dark winter people. It's the same people hosted Event 201. Thomas Inglesby was one of the four co-authors of Dark Winter. He was the moderator at Event 201, John Hopkins Center for Health Security. How do these people still <clears throat> able to show their faces in public? Because no one reports on them. And I do, but I'm a crazy conspiracy theorist to most people. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, it is what it is. But hopefully, you know, that'll change at some point. I mean, this can't go on forever. Yeah, do, you, um, and, do you have any hopes you know, that like what are your thoughts on the state of independent media right now as compared to mainstream media it seems like i am i, I you know to be real i am actually hugely disappointed in independent media um in, in a big way um i i don't really want to name names and i don't plan to but there there is very clearly shady shit going down behind the scenes and people that are still talking about Biden and Kamala and Trump, like all of this shit is real and, and are only covering that. Okay, so if you think you're going to get a lot of clicks from election stuff and you want to cover that, fine, but cover some of the other shit going on. It's not all about the election and the election isn't going to freaking determine what happens after November. It's honestly like 
in my opinion, irrelevant who wins and who loses, not just because of the lack of, of meaningful differences in the two platforms, but also because they essentially, the, the real government of the US that is not elected has told you that it's going to be complete chaos between now or between election day and you know inauguration day at the end of january and during that period operation warp speed is going to be activated sometime between december 2020 and january 2021 and uh that's supposed to be for every american and then every american is going to be tracked by google for two years with some sort of in surveillance what what monsef salawi says will be a very strong very active and very precise surveillance system that they are building just for Operation Warp Speed. Okay, um, I mean, this is this is so nuts. I can tell you definitively, I will not be <laughs> participating in that vaccine program. Well, yeah, because if people could just, see, just the stuff I've like talked about, the extreme secrecy and like who's involved in, in, in all this shit, like who, who the heck would get it, dude? You know, um, who wants to be tracked by the government for two years because you've got a jab? For, to, to keep you from getting sick from a disease that more than 90% of people who get it survive. Like, um, 99% our age group. Right. <laughs> it's not, it's, uh, I mean, it's, it's so, it's so it. mental and it's all about manipulating people's fear, get people really afraid. And then they'll just, you know, okay, just, okay. Good government. Come and make us safe again. You know, I know um, people, that, I know people begging for the vaccine. Like, I want to go back to normal. We need the vaccine. I'm like, what? the hell are you thinking over here like yeah that sucks that i mean in my opinion that's just laziness <laughs> um like most, uh, most people are lazy whitney uh, uh yeah i know but um you know i refuse to live in this world that they're trying to build and um i don't really you know if you think that it's just going to be okay you just get this one vaccine and then you can go back to the bar you know they've already said it's going to be multiple doses and they're just going to keep rolling out new things yeah, was... uh for you to get vaccinated for every year and who knows all this stuff is experimental you don't know what it's going to do to you do you know how many operation warp speed vaccine trials remember clinical trials are secret but multiple multiple instances now where they have been paused because of quote-unquote mysterious or unexplained extreme illnesses including a lady that lost feeling and movement and her feet and hands yeah i'm not going to be lining up for that vaccine and it's uh, you want to go back to the bar okay well dude? It, it's coming from the same Why people you make your own bar <laughs> in your community like fuck, i don't know it's coming from the same people told you two weeks to flatten a curve here we yeah, are. It, this will just be three weeks. Here we are, seven months later. Uh, actually, um, actually, we're gonna have to up your vaccine dosage to seven doses over the course of eight years. So we're gonna need to keep tracking you. Uh, the strain of vaccine you got last year actually has a mutation, and you're not allowed to interact with uh, people in Ward C anymore. So you're gonna have to stay in Ward B and A. Oh my God! It's yeah, I, I mean. And yeah, it's shocking to me how many people can't see where they're trying to take this. Um, and we are sleepwalking into a nightmare and people need to wake the fuck up. Um, I'm, I'm like so burnt out and overworked after these seven crazy months, man. Um, I'm still pushing it before the election, but holy crap, more people need to wake up and they need to wake up fast. We're going to be deplatformed so hard, so hard. Like I was just saying, DHS defines Russian disinfo as denigrating Biden. 
and denigrating the establishment. I do that pretty okay? much every episode. So goodbye, freaks. Yeah. Okay. But also DHS met with Twitter and Facebook and Google, which owns YouTube last year about how they can protect uh, public discourse ahead of the 2020 election. They met with all these guys. You see it happening now on Twitter. And it was all exactly. And it was all about stopping foreign interference. Okay. So if DHS told these social media companies you need to take down foreign disinfo and foreign interference efforts. And then DHS releases this report a week ago saying Russian disinfo is denigrating Biden. Okay. What do you think is going to happen before election day? I'm just, uh, I'm not going to be there on Twitter anymore. I may officially be labeled a Russian agent. Vlad <laughs> Vladimir, send me, send me the bag in Bitcoin, preferably. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I keep talking about how Joe Biden is senile because the only reason I would talk about Joe Biden having any sort of problems is because I get paid by Russia. Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I talk to Putin once a week. He tells me, talk bad about Biden, please. Uh, but I'm just amazed too. Trump supporters and Trump supporting quote unquote independent media. Where were they about this DHS report? You know, why is Trump's DHS saying criticizing Biden is Russian disinfo? Don't you think they would be mad about that? Because that's them. Yeah, it doesn't make doesn't make a lot of sense. And but I guess it's just trust the plan and bend over. You know. So what else is stressing you out outside of Operation Warp Speed? You said there's a lot of things going on at the same time. I saw something about tracking sewage to predetermine whether or not a population has COVID. Yes. So at, by the end of the year, 42 states will have a nationwide wastewater surveillance network where it will have sensors and samplers that will detect COVID-19 in sewage. And then they will use that to predict, they will predictively analyze that data, predictively analyze to predict COVID outbreaks before they happen up to 11 days before symptoms would even begin to show in order to enable quote unquote rapid containment of those communities. That's, that's the official program. Whitney, isn't um, this smart science though? You want to be able to predetermine, prevent? Yeah, well, so the company that's, that's going to be building this was spun out of MIT's Sensible City Labs. That's not sensible, like sensible, it makes sense. It's sense, like able to be sensed. It's their smart city infrastructure lab at MIT. So this company, Biobot, was spun out of there, and they're basically the smart sewer company of the future. Anyway, so you, you look at their website, and they talk about how not only can you predict COVID-19 outbreaks before they emerge and basically apply pre-crime to quote unquote public health uh, using, using this whatever system they're trying to build. You can also detect illicit drug use. Oh no, there's a lot of people smoking weed here. We gotta go, go door to door and find the weed. Oh no, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of opioids in the poop. Oh, there's a lot of cocaine in the poop. I mean, same deal, right? And but not only that, they suggest using it to analyze if people are eating healthily and if people are eating too much sugar, time to impose a sugar tax. This is straight up from their website. This is micromanaging, uh, you know, human life to an insane degree and also surveilling what you literally ingest and excrete. I mean, talk about invasive, dude. 42 states by the end of December. 
Lovely. And I love how it's always the same pretext. It's a war on something uh, invisible that you're never really yeah. going to stop. A war on drugs. Yeah, the war, war on, terror on terror was the invisible enemy that were supposed to be brown people in caves in the Middle East, supposedly, that hate us for our freedoms. We're so free, they hate us. So let's have less freedom and fight them, right? Okay, war on, war on terror logic. But now it's uh, the war on the virus, which is also an invisible enemy. But this invisible enemy isn't isolated outside of the US abroad. Um, they, uh, the microbe, the virus, can dwell anywhere unseen in your environment or within your body, right? So that's where they're trying to take this. And I would like to point out, after 9-11, DARPA, uh, was given, uh, was what created this, there was this program created that was managed by DARPA called Total Information Awareness, or TIA. Some people that have ever looked into quote-unquote conspiracies uh, may remember the logo of TIA because it's basically, this was an official DARPA program. The logo of this office at DARPA was an all-seeing eye pyramid beaming uh, like a surveillance beam over the entire planet Earth. Please go up and look at this logo. It's pretty trippy. Anyway, a component of TIA was called biosurveillance, and it was about predicting natural disease outbreaks and bioterror attacks before they happen. And it was all about using non-traditional data sources, including the sale, the sell, sell, uh, sale of over-the-counter medicine, eating the consumption of foods associated with illnesses, um, you know, poop, <laughs> like sewage, wastewater, things like that. And what do you know, HHS now is uh, building that very system and it's national. This isn't something that like, you know, uh, Cuomo up in New York is trying to roll out because he, you know, tasked Bill Gates and Eric Schmidt with reimagining life in the state, okay? This is something that the federal government is creating on a national level this is the first step towards smart cities and they're building it underground so you don't see it out of sight and out of mind okay but basically building this system uh this national wastewater surveillance system is the beginning of a nationwide push to smart city it up so goddamn creepy why do they want to control us so much and because they're scared. These people live in fear. Well, they live in fear all day long of losing their power and losing their wealth. And they're all like sociopaths and psychopaths. And they're like that with each other. That's why we see a lot of these factional battles between these like crime families, you know, like the Clintons and the Trumps, you know, I mean, they're, they're criminals at the end of the day, right? But they infight, you know, or, you know, what about the with a lot of the coronavirus relief money, you had like different companies like fighting each other over who gets more of the spoils from the coronavirus relief money and all this stuff. You know, I mean, it's like predators fighting over, uh, you know, uh, carrion, basically. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, but not nice people, but they have that mentality. They're constantly in fear and they don't want people to start demanding more sustainable systems. I'm not talking about like environmental stuff, just that, right? I'm talking about like, you know, the Fed is not a sustainable system to maintain a healthy economy, right? As one example, you know, the government as it is now um, is not sustainable if we're to preserve the constitution in, in basic freedoms, you know? I mean, this is just like, a it, it's unsustainable across the board. They want to create a world where they don't have to worry about sharing or losing their power that to keep the system in place forever 
and basically create what I would call neo-feudalism. Basically go back to medieval times in Europe and there's the kings in the castle and then there's, you know, the people <laughs> at the bottom, right? But instead of it being, you know, enforced the way it was back then uh, through, you know, lack of information, keeping all the, the knowledge about things concentrated in the, in the hands of a few, but the internet, they can't do that, right? Uh, you know, cats out of the bag there for sure. So what do they do? Well, they're going to try and use technology to, um, you know, maintain a, a system like that. Yeah. And how it looks to me. And one of the, one of the ways they're going to try and do that is to control the digital money. They want to create this, uh, the central bank digital currency. Yeah, they have they, really ramped that up, huh? Since yeah, we last talked, I think when have. we last talked, it was the the Fed came out and and like said, "Well, we're researching uh, a digital dollar, but it's just research <laughs> or something like that." They said earlier this year, and now they've definitely uh, upped the ante, so to speak. Christine Lagarde has come out in favor of a uh, digital euro. And oh my god! So and. To anybody listening out there as a Bitcoiner, which is probably most of you, like make sure you are getting your your Bitcoin off exchanges in the personal custody. They're going to use those exchanges to try to control your use of Bitcoin as well in the future. Um, that's why, I mean, I think Bitcoin as a vehicle to defund parts of this uh, global intelligence apparatus is a huge benefit for the individual, but it can still be co-opted by these people who arguably outside of the realm of Bitcoin uh, are, are winning at, at a pretty massive scale right now. Like, how do we begin to fight back as individuals listening to this particular well, episode? Well, um, I, I think it's worth keeping in mind that it's a lot easier to keep tabs on what they're doing than keep tabs on how, you know, how uh, regular people are responding to all of this stuff. Despite how bleak things may look now, I definitely feel that there are more people uh questioning what's going on and there have been in like the last 20 years in the u.s like a lot more people are starting to be like huh i don't know about this um with, with a lot of different things um you know for example i have a patreon we have a discord where a lot of people talk and, and they've talked about how they came across my work and things like that and most of them were people that before 2016 uh were ultra super mega normie and just in the past four years have been kind of like, whoa, wait a second. And since the coronavirus crisis, I am, am confident that that number has grown by a significant degree. But you're not going to see that type of stuff covered in mainstream media, right? And we're not going to see, you know, positive acts that would make us feel better about what's going on or positive acts of resistance, wherever they may pop up, uh, pop up around the world. We're not really going to hear about that from mainstream media. <clears throat> by and large right so it's worth keeping that in mind that you know it sort of distorts things towards the negative but you know in terms of what i do yeah i mean reading the stuff i put out can usually be pretty depressing but we can't fix anything if we don't know what the fuck is going on you know what i mean so um i think to paraphrase carl, carl Jung, you know you can't or uh you know the famous um psychologist guy you can't um make something um, conscious until you make the unconscious conscious, right? Until you bring the darkness to light, until you shine a light on the dark shit that's going on. So it may look really bleak at first, but the more people work to expose that, and I'm not just talking about me, right? Because it's really an imperative on everyone that's worried about the stuff to try and get this information out there. And, and that really needs to be done 
not necessarily virtually anymore. That needs to be done. And you need to take this stuff to your family, to your friends, people you know in the real world and be like, don't you think something's weird about this? And you, people really need to get, especially for what's coming down the line, people need to get local, get to know your neighbors, <laughs> you know, if you don't already know them. If things get really hairy, you will probably need them or try and, you know, come together as a neighborhood or a community and, and work on local resilience or something. You know, we have to decentralize uh, to combat this huge centralized, you, you know, grab of, of power uh, by the federal government, which is centralization at its core, right? How do you combat extreme centralization? Well, you have to decentralize, right? So, you know, people need, there's plenty that people can be doing right now. Um, and, you know, it's really easy to look at all this stuff and be like, fuck, <laughs> you know, we're screwed. But, you know, like I was saying, there's more people really awake to what's going on now than there ever have been before. And, you know, we need to keep that, that energy up because uh, it's really, it's the only chance we've got. No, I would actually co-sign that. Uh, just wanted to put that out there. And I think the, exped <laughs> the expedition of everything this year, particularly around the coronavirus, the lockdowns, now it seems like, attempt at force vaccinations or they're going to have enough for hundreds of millions of people at least uh it seems like they're worried and are and are working at a quicker pace than maybe they would like yeah well originally it was going to be january 2021 now they're saying the, the warp speed guy is saying well we're going to apply for the vex the the first emergency youth authorization for the vaccine at the end of november and thanksgiving yeah so they definitely are pushing that timeline ahead. And I definitely think that more people are getting wise to this, this, this stuff going down right now. I'll give you an example. My parents, my parents are Normie McNormienstein. You know, they are like so normal. Uh, my, they voted for Bush like twice <laughs> back in the, in the 2000s, right? Um, you know, they have always thought I was crazy because I've been like a 9-11 truther since I was like 13, right? So, you know, uh, <laughs> they've, they've always thought I was really nuts. And then I talked to them the other day. We don't really talk that often, as you can imagine. But I, um, I did talk to them the other day and they were like, my mom was like, you know, this, this lockdown stuff is bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> this virus doesn't kill anyone, you know? And so if my parents who literally had a, made it a ritual for decades and decades and decades have dinner in front of the ABC and NBC, whatever evening news and watch mainstream media and CNN all day long or whatever are now being like, we don't believe what the TV is saying. That is, that made me pay attention. Yeah. I think everybody's seeing that the people on TV are goddamn hypocrites. Uh, you see people like Chris Cuomo, like virtue signaling about the virus and he gets it. But he lied about having it. He lied about it. <laughs> he said, he said, this virus is so deadly that you beat it by doing chest stretches <laughs> and shit like that. Oh my God. The, the Cuomo brothers need to go to prison forever. <laughs> Both yeah. of them. It's, the propagandist and New York's little Hitler, they all need to go. It's so weird. <laughs> New York's little Hitler. I haven't heard that nickname yet. Yeah, well, I mean, he's getting there. Yeah. He really put Eric Schmidt and Bill Gates in charge. They're probably more closer to having that. Yeah, now Google's coming in with like, Google's coming into New York City with a, uh, <laughs> a homeschooling software, correct? Yeah, well, you know what's nuts is that last year, before all of this happened, uh, Cuomo, well, people under Cuomo, they signed off on um, Israeli companies building five smart cities in New York. 
and the contracting period, uh, the awards to the Israeli companies that are going to do that uh, were given this year. And so they're going to build five smart cities in New York next year. And Eric Schmidt was trying to bring smart cities before. They were going to test it out in Toronto and Canada, I believe. But the citizens uh, pushed back and were like, no, get out of here. And so now uh, Cuomo is like, yes, Eric Schmidt, make New York State your playground. Um, and that's essentially what they're doing. Um, and yeah, Google has this virtual classroom stuff um, that they've invested in. Um, Bill Gates invested in stuff uh, related to this too, where it's like a wristband that kids have to wear and it like sends them like shocks basically if they're not paying attention in class to like increase their attentiveness in school. Um, yeah, that sounds fun. Thanks, Bill Gates. Um, you can just tell these are like the fucking derpy computer nerds in schools that like hate everyone and are all bitter and they've grown up and now they're like, we will get revenge. Like, and this is how they're trying to remake school, man. I mean, it's just insane. It's going to put them in pods. But then like, <laughs> how could anybody ever trust the things like the uh, pre, things like pre-crime uh, predictive analysis in the sewers. Well, pre-crime started last year too. Bill Barr announced uh, Deep last year. It was supposed to be to pre uh, prevent mass shootings before they happen when everyone was most scared of mass shootings. And now, you know, the coronavirus comes around and Bill Barr is like, oh, um, I need the power to indefinitely detain people for coronavirus. Okay. Anyone remember that? I guess people have forgotten about Bill Barr's attempted power grab back in March. Yeah. Um, how he wanted to indefinitely detain people because of the Rona. So, how could you ever um, trust pre-crime and then these other softwares that they're putting out? Yeah, well, like, the more scared people are, the more they'll, they'll trust that stuff, you know? Oh, anything to make the shooting stop, anything to make the virus stop, you know? I mean, that's what they're trying to... Yeah, how much of that is them just in the back end just fucking with things, like making something that isn't real? Hey, well, remember the FBI, you know, uh, they're really good at making terror plots. You should look at the, anyone want to look into the 1993 World Trade Center bombing uh, and how the FBI knew that was going to happen and didn't do anything to stop it. Yeah. Uh-oh. Because they had an informant in, in the group that did that and they were like, go for it. So I guess sometimes the FBI creates fake terror plots that they foil at the last minute, but sometimes they make ones that they don't, it appears. <sighs> Do you think the FBI or CIA killed JFK? Because wasn't that one of his big things right before he died? He wanted was, to... was to splinter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it into the winds? Yes. Yeah. Um, well, um, I'm not a professional JFK assassination researcher, and I have never really looked that deeply into it personally. But uh, I would recommend that people read JFK and the Unspeakable. And the most important book for understanding why the world is the way it is now, at least as far as the US concerned, The Devil's Chessboard, which is about the rise of Alan Dulles, the first director of the CIA, who really, 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 really hated John F. Kennedy. And it was Kennedy who fired Alan Dulles from the CIA for the Bay of Pigs disaster. And, um, you know, it, uh, there's a lot of odd things that were going on around that period of time in the early 60s. It's also very odd what happened to Bobby Kennedy, John F. Kennedy's brother. Um, Sirhan Sirhan, there is no way that he was the person that shot Bobby Kennedy. He's still in prison, thanks to Kamala Harris, who refused to let him uh, try and argue for parole, despite all the new evidence um, about 
him not being the shooter. But anyway, I digress. Um, <clears throat> if you are the CIA and you uh, overthrow countries all over the world and kill a bunch of people and do MK Ultra on the record, uh, torturing essentially of innocent people to, to perfect mind control technology, and no one investigates you and no one holds you accountable for decades and decades and decades, what kind of world does that create? How does that happen? Let's remember too, uh, talking about you know the tech guys and all this stuff, remember that Google and a lot of these other companies started with CIA money through NQTEL, Palantir, um, well, you know. And then, so there's a couple of things. Going back to Alan Dulles, or however you pronounce his last Dulles. name. Dulles. Mm -hmm. Weren't the first programs that he started, didn't he like bring in a lot of like ex-Nazis to work on a lot of that stuff as well? Oh yeah, Operation Paperclip. Uh, actually during World War II, before the CIA was formed in the Office of Strategic Services, which is like the precursor to the CIA. Uh, yeah, Alan Dulles was basically running interference for the Nazis out of uh, Bern, Switzerland, where he was stationed the whole freaking time uh, and uh, tried to negotiate uh, the, uh, what do you call it, amnesty for top Nazi leaders, which FDR shit all over and that made Alan Dulles really mad. Because uh, he was trying to be like, hey, the economic elite of Germany are my friends. Because before he was an in intelligence, Alan Dulles was a Wall Street lawyer. And when he was a Wall Street lawyer, he helped organize coups on behalf of corporations. Oh, what do you know? That's what the CIA that he ran ended up doing also. The first coup the CIA did was on behalf of United Fruit Company in Guatemala. Um, because they were going to nationalize the banana industry so that it wouldn't all the profits wouldn't go to U.S.-based United Fruit Company. It would go to people in Guatemala because it had created a really unequal society there. So, you know, it was neo-colonial. So, you know, the CIA goes in and overthrows their uh, democratically elected president, and then there's a military dictatorship. Well, that sure was, you know, bringing freedom to the people of Guatemala. I mean, people that think the CIA brings freedom everywhere, the CIA, everywhere it does a coup, and pretty much installs, uh, at least historically, vast majority of the cases, they install brutally repressive military dictatorships that the CIA trains on how to torture and terrorize their populace. Why do, why do we put up with this agency again? What is their mandate? Well, because they also control the media, right? Operation Mockingbird. They have a lot of influence. Anderson Cooper, for example, used to be involved with the CIA during his college days. He's also a member of the Vanderbilt oligarch family, you know, so. Eh. But he's got pretty eyes and a clean haircut. He'd never lie to you. I know, never. Yeah. Uh, these people. Anyway, um, but plus the CIA has a lot of different cutouts now and spinoffs like USAID is a CIA but, cutout, essentially. Uh, and the National Endowment for Democracy, or NED, also um, very tied up with the CIA. They even admit that. They're like, yeah, we used to do what the CIA did decades ago. Now we do that. And they're the people that do a lot of color revolution stuff on behalf of the, yeah. well, a lot of the people US are going... establishment that you can't denigrate. It's Russian disinfo, says well, DHS. A lot of people are arguing that they're turning that color revolution on their own citizens oh right but now. they are but they are though one. yeah so um we talked about cyber reason last time I, um i was on but we didn't talk about the transition integrity project because i wrote about that later i wrote about that um a couple weeks ago and basically they are this group of pnac project for a new american century neocons and obama administration uh dnc establishment dnc types coming together 
to uh, simulate that even if Trump wins the election, how to create chaos, regardless of who wins between, um, you know, election day and inauguration day. And if no president is officially decided um, on inauguration day, then the military might have to step in, they say. Um, all very convenient when we consider warp speed and all this other stuff supposedly going down that same month, right? So that's pretty nuts. But anyway, the lady that created that is a lady named Rosa Brooks. She used to work for the Soros Open Society Institute that of course was intimately involved. Uh, the Open Society uh, Institute and other things that have been funded by George Soros's various foundations by and large have been linked to color revolutions, including the Arab Spring and numerous other ones. Leaked emails from Hillary Clinton's State Department showed that she was essentially told directly by Soros how to handle a situation of unrest in Albania for the purpose of color advancing a color rev revolution and regime change. I mean, this is, this is pretty nuts that this lady is a lady that uh, was in charge of it, but she's also a fellow at this think tank called New America. New America is almost entirely funded by Eric Schmidt. I mean, its biggest donor, uh, first or second biggest donor is Eric Schmidt and his wife, Wendy. Um, it's also funded by Bill Gates, Pierre Omidyar, uh, Jeffrey Skoll, who are both eBay billionaires um, in Silicon Valley in general. New America's purpose is, uh, is basically, um, uh, I forget their exact mission statement, but it's something like, um, uh, analyzing the disruptions caused by high-paced uh, technological change and seizing those opportunities that those disruptions create, right? So it's funded by Silicon Valley billionaires who produce the disruptive high-tech and then they have New America, which plans out how to seize those opportunities for their benefit. And a lot of this virtual classroom shit that Eric Schmidt and Bill Gates are rolling out in New York and whatever, um, you know, that's probably the main focus of the New America think tank. Uh, well, where they spend a lot of their time and, and money, but also the same lady, Rosa Brooks, is not just involved in that. She's also involved in the Georgetown University Center for Innovative Policing. That's all about how to reimagine uh, uh, the police departments in the U.S. And this, uh, <clears throat> I could go into this in more detail, but basically... Um, there is an effort by people in this camp, this DNC establishment camp, to basically take the legitimate grievances that are associated with the Black Lives Matters movement and herd this into a push for the federalization of police and basically to sell the quote-unquote reform of police departments across the country um, and all of that, all the calls for reform mostly for people on the left to basically make the solution to those calls for reform be the federalization of police. And this lady is very involved in that. And so is the, um, oh, I can't remember if it's the Open Society Foundations, but I think it is, but it was some Soros-funded organization. There was a leak from, from them a few years ago about, about them talking about Black Lives Matters and how to capitalize off of that to push for the federalization of police. So like, this is like, something that they're like interested in and it's interesting the same federal government the same federal yes, government that brought you the war on drugs on and the, the war on terror right? because this rosa brooks lady used to be an advisor to the obama era department of defense yeah right <clears throat> so she used to be involved with that but at the same time you have people like her from the quote-unquote left and the dnc angle angling to get people over there uh, on that side of the political divide to support the federalization of police. During the rioting, you had people on the right also calling for the federalization of police. 
like DHS heads and then Bill Barr was talking about federalizing police and all of this stuff. So you're getting, they're also manufacturing consent because of the riots and all that stuff for people on the right to support the federalization of police. Okay, so like what kind of contentious riot situation where you have two sides that are supposedly so angry at each other it creates this explosion of violence in American streets? Why are they, are, why are they both angling both sides for the same solution, the federalization of police. That seems a little too convenient to me, right? Yeah, it's, again, it seems like we're being herded into a certain direction. Yeah, because what happens if you federalize police, you know? Um, that's an extreme centralization of power. Pretty much all police officers in the U.S. are going to be militarized DHS guys. Yeah, and the, uh, the war on drugs means. and the war on terror prove that the federal government isn't racist at all, so... Uh, <laughs> right they're gonna clean right. up the, the racist police force with a federal police force uh, but but that's literally what this this these people are saying on, on the on the left quote-unquote left side of this but anyway that's the lady that set up the transition integrity project um which is all about you know they talked all about having uh organizing protests and all this stuff in the in their simulations but i mean there's a lot of other stuff that they put in there that was just like totally insane um i'd encourage people to go look at my article on this up in um my website on limitedhangout.com uh, about bipartisan insiders reveal their plan for chaos if Trump wins the election, because they had a scenario where if Trump wins the election, they're basically going to send different electors to the electoral college, uh, a handful of democratic governors in their states, even if Trump wins the electoral college, they're gonna send different electors that will vote for Biden instead, right? Just totally discounting the vote. And then they're going to, um, this is what they say, because this was John, the person in the simulation that played Joe Biden was John Podesta. No. <laughs> yeah. What's, yeah. That, what's that creep up to? He's still, he's still got his Yeah, so things. he's gaming out what the DNC is going to do if Trump wins the election to create maximum chaos. And this, and this is their plan. After they do this elector, fake, you know, fake elector bullshit, then they're going to push the Trump administration to uh, create uh, several new states in the United States. They're going to divide California into five different states, make Puerto Rico a state, and make Washington, D.C. its own state so that the Democrats have a majority in the Senate forever. Some some um, aggressive gerrymandering there. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, and then in January, they said that they're going to have the House of Representatives, which I guess they expect to maintain a hold of, uh, would declare Biden to be the president anyway, even though Trump had won the election in this scenario. I mean, that's nuts. And then, and then they were like, in, in their official document, right, they're like, some Trump supporters at this juncture might call this a Democrat coup. Like, that isn't a reasonable description of what would be going on there. But like, dude, that's what that is. <laughs> like, I don't yeah. know. And the, again, both sides have been posturing like they're not going to take any result as legitimate. Yeah. Like, but Podesta, basically this Podesta group... came out was like, don't, don't concede yeah, so did Hillary. Hillary said, if we drag this out, Biden will eventually win. That's essentially what she said on an, in an interview with HBO's show, uh, or Showtime. Yeah. Uh, so nuts. Um, so anyway, these guys are going around being like, Trump won't leave office and he's a threat to democracy. But, you know, they get together and this is what they plan out. Neither group gives a shit about democracy, dude. Um, so, like, this is just so crazy but um <clears throat> democracy's gone it doesn't even it's again, well that's why i'm I'm, I'm kind of pissed that so many people are still so focused on the political theater aspects of this election because it's like 
don't yeah. don't you see did you, <laughs> that... did you see trump dancing at his rally last night be mad at him for this uh did there's too joe... many people crowded too closely at his rally and joe biden said this rude thing about black people but it, he's he's the democrat candidate so we have to vote for him i mean i just can't believe that he's the democratic candidate for that reason alone i mean didn't he say earlier this year like if you don't vote for me you're not black yeah you're right not, you're and not then... really black in what the whole, like in the, the whole... democrat candidate in a year where like black lives matters has like done all this stuff i mean it's outrageous yeah, I and mean, kamala was... the cop is his vp yeah He's out of control dude she's despicable like literally oh yeah personally suck, personally perhaps. she personally <laughs> like implemented extremely racist policies towards uh people who were yeah falsely accused and had already <laughs> had already uh served their sentence and yet she extended it for essentially slave labor and she is uh potentially the next vice president probably i would say highly likely our president at some point in the next four oh, years i think it's biden. definitely highly likely too because as soon as joe biden just tests positive for coronavirus they already have a thing at the dnc where kamala becomes the presidential candidate and they've had some They've had some slip-ups. They've had some slip-ups too. Like already oh, saying yeah. like the Harris. the Harris administration, I I recall. Yes. They can do that. Like if he gets coronavirus, say, oh. Yeah, before the election they can. They they set up a whole thing. And that and that's most likely how they would do it if if that's how this is going to play out. So, you know, we saw how easy it was for Trump to test positive for whatever COVID at the debates. And he was like, oh, he was at the debate with COVID and Joe Biden was right there. And then they were all worried Joe Biden was going to test positive, right? I mean, all they had to do was set up the right scenario. And, but as soon as he tests positive, Biden tests positive, it's, it's President Kamala is on the ballot. Whether they'll wait until before or after the election to do that, who knows, but we'll see. Joe's probably begging for it. Like, just get me off these stages. I just want to go take a nap. They have to have him so drugged up. <laughs> uh, so roll him out there. When will we rid ourselves of these evil people? In I this... don't know. I mean, like, I, imagine know, sometimes if... I'm like, this is funny when I watch how clownish it all is. But at the same time, I'm like, uh, I want to get off the train. I the do too. World, well, please. imagine, <laughs> imagine if hundreds of millions, tens of millions, the hundreds of millions of people weren't and snarled in the the, the ever-changing narrative that the media puts in front of them that's like it's getting sickening like walking up to friends and family and all anybody yeah. can talk about is well uh, you know, see trump take his mask off last night they couldn't do all this shit without the mainstream media so i mean if you if anyone wants to focus their attention on something to fight against i mean just discredit the crud out of them please and get people to stop listening to their shit yeah i mean it's been proven that they are essentially arms communication arms of these some of these intelligence agencies and yeah or or the state you know um i just want to put this out there so in like 2012 obama signed um well he signed it in 2013 but it was the 2012 ndaa the national defense authorization act tucked in there was the repeal of something called the smith munt act which was put in place after world war ii that was uh, the Smith Munt Act is also known as the propaganda ban. It was a ban on using US state created propaganda domestically on the US populace. I would argue that they broke that rule many times while that law was in effect. 
But in 2013, when that law was signed into law, it was officially repealed, allowing US state propaganda to be inserted anywhere that includes corporate media outlets. That, um, I mean, this. Why would they repeal it if they didn't plan to use it? Build back better seems like a, a great yeah. propaganda slogan there. It is. No, I'm sure in the boardrooms of McKinsey or whatever, they were high-fiving for that one. <laughs> we got some alliteration. Three Bs yeah. in a row. It's alliterative and it's douchey. They'll eat this up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whatever. Fuck these guys. I'm just so mad all the time <laughs> at these people. Um, you know, it's it's wild. Well, there's, um, I think there is that quote-unquote silent majority now especially with the lockdowns and people being thrown out of work and forced out of work and forced from going back to work people are getting viscerally angry but i do believe that people still have that fear of being labeled a conspiracy theorist like like pointing at hey two weeks to flatten the curve turn into right well more than half a year uh, of the lockdown which is leading a, to was a good vaccination video it's like what that um uh, James Corbett put out pretty recently about how to handle the conspiracy theory smear because a lot of times someone will be like oh well you're a conspiracy theorist and then you spend the rest of the discussion trying to wiggle your way out from the smear right like well I'm not a conspiracy theorist and that's not you know this term is from the CIA and the Warren Commission whatever right so the uh, James was saying that like the way to sort of switch that around is to be like well then these are my facts and evidence about this particular event. What is your theory, you know? And make it about the facts and the evidence and be like, well, conspiracy theory, you say, well, here are my facts and evidence. And what are yours? And you will probably, that person will probably realize they don't actually know shit about the event they're trying to, you know, opinion, you know, opine well, about. Anderson uh, Cooper's been telling about tell me all about it for the last couple months yeah they might start realizing they're just regurgitating shit they heard on cnn or heard from you know the mouthpiece you know some government mouthpiece or official or whatever and be like hmm you know uh that's really i think the the that's a shift that people need to make that routinely like me routinely get accused of being you know a conspiracy theorist or conspiracy theorizing right um you know, we really need to move this to a discussion not about the smear um, or why conspiracy theories are bad, but just literally take it to the facts and evidence. So if someone wants to call me a conspiracy theorist about Operation War Speed, I'm like, well, what do you think about how secret it is and why the vaccine contracts are all secret and why the clinical trials are all secret? and why it's being run by the military and not a civilian health agency, even though it's peacetime and things like that. You know, ask them, well, what do you think's going on? Right. Oh, one thing I did forget to mention about Operation Warp Speed, because this is probably one of the crazier parts. FDA officials barred, barred from attending Operation Warp Speed meetings. They can't even sit in. Uh. They can't even sit in. FDA officials, they're supposed to issue the Emergency Use Authorization Act on that, on that fucking vaccine. And they can't even sit in in the meetings. They're being okay, expected so they to can't blindly sign off on one it. Thing. Yeah, apparently. Apparently. That's nuts. Right. They're barred from attending meetings. I'm not going to say the FDA is not corrupt. It is. But, like, why wouldn't you bar them? Especially if you're at least trying to cover your Get them cover to sign ass. up on something, yeah. you know? 
Or just like, from an optics perspective, hey, the FDA was there. They looked at it. Like, they said you'd be safe. Yeah, or at least have them sit in in the meeting yeah. and be like, you can't participate, but you can sit. They can't even sit in. They'd be a good and patsy. Mainstream... If things go wrong, you want the FDA I to guess, be right? the bus. But, but mainstream media asked FDA, like leadership at the FDA, if they could even describe anything about Operation Warp Speed. And they're like, we have no idea how it's organized. We have no idea when or with what frequency its leaders meet. We're barred from meetings. What? Yeah, it's insane. So, you know, tell that to a normie and ask them if they think that's normal for like vaccine development. Operation Warp Speed is supposed to be for civilians during peacetime, funded by American taxpayers. The vaccine will be for American taxpayers. Is this normal? This level of secrecy, the involvement of DHS and the NSA and the military, but not, you know, the CDC and the FDA? Like, <laughs> Whitney, just think of the children. They need the vaccine to get back to think school. Think of the children. They need it now. They need it now. Don't ask questions. Questions are dangerous, and they make the vaccine slower. And Operation Warp Speed is all about making the vaccine fast. It's in the name. Pretty much what they say Warp all the speed. time. Yeah, that's their official justification for the secrecy. They uh, consulted you know, George every, Lucas. Everything else slows us down. Uh, yeah. They consulted George Lucas to, to <laughs> get a correct barometer on what warp speed actually is and how fast oh, man. the vaccine should be. Well, apparently the guy that came up with the term claimed to be a Star Trek fan. Uh, uh, I would yeah. argue he's probably not a fan of actually of Star Trek, but of the Borg, uh, based on how this is going on. <laughs> uh, you know, that's uh, that's well, my take. Well, to bring because... it back to how it's all interconnected, we can pull the Fed now, too, I guess uh one thing that came out this week that we were talking about before we hit record was leon black i believe the president founder of apollo capital management mm -hmm. was found to have um given jeffrey epstein something like 50 million dollars and 50 million x, yeah. x amount of payments over y amount of time and people are, are assuming that epstein blackmailed him but there's probably uh, more to the story than that apparently Right. Well, I'm a little short on time, unfortunately, but um, I will lay out that I 100% I do not think that that payment had to do with Leon Black being extorted. Um, you look at Jeffrey Epstein, he only managed the family foundations of two people, Leslie Wexner and Leon Black. Okay, so he didn't do that for the people he extorted. He did that for the people he was doing some shit for. Okay, Leslie Wexner. Uh, Epstein victims call him the head of the snake of the whole operation, at least in the early period, you know, late 90s, early 2000s. After that, you know, and, and for six years after his first arrest, Epstein was directing the Black Family Foundation, giving money to the Bronfmans of the mega group, right? Also tied up in the Nexium thing, um, you know. Uh, that I don't, I don't, it doesn't look like to me that, he, you know, they set up Leon Black with some, some girl and then we're trying to extort him for money. I mean, Epstein didn't have any problems with money. He got like all the money he wanted from the people he was running for, whether it was Wexner or, or you know, foreign governments or whatever. Yeah, you know, he didn't have a problem with money. He also was, you know, cozy with, you know, Lynn Forrester to Rothschild. He used to talk about uh, gaming currency markets and like manipulating currencies and all this stuff. I mean, he like well, he laundered money uh, all through the 1980s, most likely for BCCI, uh, which was like a CIA linked bank, but also a bunch of other really shady institutions. Um, very, you know, he's essentially um, the 
the pin that popped the 2008 uh, Wall Street bubble, he personally was responsible for the collapse of Bear Stearns, whatever you believe about his motivations for that. Um, whether it was because he was mad at this guy or whether because he was a fucking intelligence operative, you know, uh, he, he had, you know, Epstein was so much more than just sexual blackmail. He was not just sexual blackmailing for his own power. It, he, he worked on behalf of a network that goes far beyond intelligence. It also was involved with organized crime and a lot of these Wall Street banks. And yeah. Leon Black is so in there. And for people that don't know who Leon Black and his family are, his dad, Eli Black, used to, used to run United Brands, which was United Fruit. And as I mentioned earlier, the CIA did their first coup on behalf of that company that Leon Black's father used to run. You think this guy got wrapped up and, you know, uh, didn't know what Epstein was doing when Cindy McCain goes on like TV and says, we all knew what Epstein was doing. She literally says that on camera. I mean, these people knew what the heck was going on. So like you think Leon Black didn't know he was paying for some shit going down. Leon Black also owns Blackwater. Uh, what, what used to be Blackwater then was Academi now is Constellus. Um, he owns them. They've been involved in lots of arms trafficking, human trafficking scandals over the years. Why would he buy a firm like that? That seems, uh -huh. yeah. you know, when he's pals with Epstein. Plus, you know, the relationship with Epstein, super chummy. Leon Black and Epstein were like good pals. If someone extorts you and sets you up and then like forces you to pay them millions of dollars, you don't, you know, invite them to your pool party at the Hamptons and pull or, uh, pal around with them like that, you know? Yeah. And it wasn't until like very close to the end of the Epstein's life that he, that he finally uh, sort of disconnected his reputation from. But you freaks may remember, we've talked about Apollo Capital Management, which Leo, um, Leon Black is the head of, uh, actually exact, almost exactly a year ago when the repo spasms happened uh, with the Fed overnight markets and the Fed had to come provide liquidity to, to that overnight market particularly, we came to find that the reason that there was liquidity shortage was because JP Morgan had rotated out of bonds and into cash and sucked mm -hmm. up all the cash margin from uh, from hedge funds like Apollo Capital Management, which was named personally as one of the, mm -hmm. the, the institutions that was getting funds indirectly at the Fed window via the FICC uh, to basically save their hedge funds. So you have the Fed. Right. And Epstein is super well. involved in JP Morgan, by the way, J after the two, after Bear Stearns collapsed, JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank were Epstein's main banks until JP Morgan let him go at a certain point, And then it was all Deutsche Bank, but super involved with that. And also very friendly with the heads of those banks, the people that led them. Yeah, right. Good, so. good friends with Larry Summers too, who was at the Fed for a while. Um, yes. That, yes. That, that Harvard interconnected crew. And, yeah. I mean, definitely close friends with Larry Summers. That was not just like, a, you know, oh, we're occasional pals. Uh, Larry Summers and Epstein were pretty freaking tight. And there's also a lot to the Epstein-Bill Gates relationship that doesn't get covered. But it'll be in my book on Epstein out in a couple months. So we'll have to when all this election on. shit is, <laughs> is over, I'll get back to that. We'll have to have you come on to talk about that book before it drops. Um, Whitney. Oh, absolutely. I want to be conscious of your time here. I know you said you got to go. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, I think I'm going to post this right away. It's another record and post right away. Uh, thank you for the hard work <laughs> you do getting all this quality information out there. I think it's extremely important. And I just want to extend uh, my gratitude Thanks. for what you do.
<laughs> all right awesome thanks i appreciate it all right that's all we got today freaks peace and love